The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Fathom Church. Uh, Those of you streaming online, welcome to you as well. Um, We're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, My name is Eric Shelley. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, If you've been with us throughout the summer, you've probably heard by now that our pastor, Chris Martin, is on sabbatical this summer. So he and his wife, Marcy, and daughter, Harper, uh, they've been away kind of uh, resting and and vacationing a little bit. They were in California and Disneyland last week. um, And they're... Last I heard, they're enjoying their sabbatical, but they do miss everyone. They're, they're looking forward to returning in a few weeks. And while Chris has been going this summer, and actually even after he gets back, we have been and are going to continue to work our way and preach our way through the book of, of Matthew, through Matthew's gospel. And so we're going to be in Matthew again today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Um, so if you have your Bibles, grab them. If you don't have a Bible, grab one underneath the seats or, or bring it up in a Bible app or a tablet or something like that. Um, I want to give some quick context and kind of a recap of where we are in our study of, of Matthew. This summer, we've been kind of, we started in kind of Matthew chapter 14. We're in, in chapter 16 now. And this is really kind of smack dab in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And so at this time, his ministry has grown. Uh, he's, he's gained some popularity with the people, but he's unpopular with the religious leaders. Um, and in this part of, of Matthew's gospel, Jesus' ministry seems to follow a, a bit of a rhythm. Uh, he'll teach to the multitudes, and then he'll have some conflict with the religious leaders, and then he'll kind of go um, withdraw and be alone and teach his 12 disciples. And and so it, just if you look at our recent sermons, a few weeks ago, Nate Wirtz preached on the feeding of the 4,000, where, where Jesus was teaching a large crowd in a remote area, and the large crowd didn't have any food. And so Jesus turned a few fish and a few loaves of bread into a feast for thousands of people, and there were seven baskets of food left over. And then last week, Gary Shear preached on Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, where the, the, these religious leaders, they, they demand a sign for, uh, uh, as to Jesus' authority. And Jesus rebukes them for asking um, for a sign and for missing the signs that had already been given. And now in today's passage, Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds and from the religious leaders, and he's alone with his disciples, and he's teaching them. And so again, that's, this is the pattern that Matthew presents. Teach the multitudes, argue with the religious leaders, and withdraw to teach the disciples. And so um, that's where we're at today. Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he's, he's teaching them. And today's passage is, is somewhat unique in that it seems as if Jesus sets out uh, to, to warn the disciples about the false teachings and sin of, of the religious leaders. But the disciples, they, they totally misunderstand what Jesus is, is teaching them. And so, like a good teacher, Jesus takes that opportunity to do some further teaching on, on God's faithfulness. And a good teacher is able to, to observe and read their students so that they can recognize when the students are, are ready to and able to learn something. And it's this teaching about faith and remembering Jesus' faithfulness that's really the focus of today's passage. It's, that's, that's, that's where we're going today. Um, that's, that's why Matthew included uh, this, this in his gospel as a teaching on faithfulness. So um, before we get into today's passage, here's a quick story just to kind of help introduce it. One of my favorite summer activities uh, is, is camping. I love going camping. I always have loved camping. Um, I love taking my family camping and just, you know, kind of 
creating fun memories up in the mountains, sitting around a campfire uh, with friends and, and, and with, with our girls. I love getting away and doing things. Like when you're camping, you, you know, sleeping looks a little bit different. Cooking looks a little bit different um, than, than it does at home. And so it's fun to, to get up in the mountains and, and um, do things a little bit differently. I've done some backpacking, but usually it's car camping. So we load all the gear into the truck, tent, sleeping bag, coolers, firewood. Um, we drive up to the mountains, go into the national forest, find a, a campsite. Um, not, it's not, not super primitive or off the grid, but it's not really glamping either. It's kind of, kind of in between. Um, but that's, that's kind of what we do. That's what we, that's what we enjoy doing. Um, but years ago, even before Ann and I uh, had met and got married, I would, I would camp with some buddies, and we'd go up and camp and fish and stuff like that. And so one trip in particular... Um, we, my, my two buddies, they picked me up on a Friday afternoon and we loaded my camping gear into my friend's truck. We headed up the hill into the mountains. We got up there, we set up our stuff, um, cooked dinner, made a fire, shared some laughs, shared some beverages around the campfire. Um, and just, had, just had, a, had a good night. And then bedtime rolled around and I realized something terrible. I forgot my sleeping bag. One of the, I mean, it's like the top three things you need for camping, like a tent, a fire, and a sleeping bag. I forgot one of them. Um, I, I felt dumb. I felt, I felt kind of like an idiot. And like good friends do, my friends were sure to remind me of how much of an idiot I was. Um, but, but they weren't wrong. I mean, I'd forgotten a sleeping bag on a camping trip in Park County at 9,000 feet in elevation where the, the temperature overnight gets down to the 40s, even in the summer. Um, so the first night I tried sleeping in the tent without the sleeping bag. I had some, I had kind of a combination of like some extra clothes and a blanket from my friend's car and one of those foil emergency blankets to keep, to try to keep warm. It didn't go real well. I was uncomfortable. I was cold. Tossing and turning in a foil blanket like kept my friends awake. And so first night didn't go well. I think the second night I ended up sleeping in his car where it was a little bit warmer, but still wasn't ideal and still wasn't comfortable. So I felt, I felt kind of dumb all, all weekend. Um, obviously I survived and lived to tell about it, but, uh, you know, and, and then when I got home, um, just sitting there right by the door on the floor was the sleeping bag right where I'd left it. And I really just needed someone to remind me not to forget the sleeping bag, apparently. Um, I needed someone to say, hey, don't forget to remember your sleeping bag. Don't forget to remember. That's, that's what I'm calling this sermon. I'm calling it don't forget to remember. And we'll unpack that statement a little bit more as we go. So, but I, I felt kind of dumb for forgetting my sleeping bag. And it, it seems that in our passage today that that's how the disciples are feeling. Um, they're feeling, feeling dumb for forgetting something important. So let's turn to our passage, Matthew 16. Let's start with verses 5 through 7 of Matthew 16. When the disciples reached the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. So after feeding the 4,000 and arguing with the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus and his disciples, they get into a boat, they sail across the Sea of Galilee, and when they get to the other side of the sea, they, the disciples realize they forgot to bring bread. Matthew said they had forgotten to bring any bread. In Mark's account, he said they only had one loaf of bread, but Regardless, they don't have enough food to feed 13 grown hungry men. And so they're probably talking amongst themselves, probably the same way I was talking to myself on that camping trip years ago. We forgot. How, how could we forget that? This is so important. How could we forget? Instead of scolding them or making fun of them the way my friends did, Jesus says this. 
Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus uses their forgetting the bread as a way to, as a way to teach them. He's got their attention, and so now he can teach them. But we've got a little bit of work to do to understand what Jesus meant here when he mentions the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is a substance that is mixed in the bread that causes bread to rise. It's like, it's similar to the yeast that you would put in bread today if you were, if you were baking bread. And leaven's referred to throughout the Bible. In the book of Exodus, you may recall the story of the first Passover. So the Lord is about to pass over Egypt and, and kill all the firstborn children and livestock in every home in Egypt, unless the home has lamb's blood painted on the doorway. In which case, the Lord will pass over that home and spare its firstborn. And so the Israelites are preparing to flee Egypt overnight after God does this. And so Israel is commanded to make bread without leaven in it so that they don't need to wait for it to rise so they, they can flee and escape Egypt quickly. So that was the first Passover. And then after Exodus and in the years to come, the Israelites celebrate and they remember the Passover by eating unleavened bread. It's, it's a way for them to remember what God did for them when he saved them from slavery in Egypt. Then as you go through the Old Testament, the books of Leviticus and Numbers, the Israelites are commanded to offer sacrifices, to offer grain offerings to God without leaven in them. Numbers 2.11 says, No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. And as we get into the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, they both use leaven as a, as a metaphor, as a picture for sin. In Luke 12, Jesus uses leaven as a picture of hypocrisy. Here in our passage today, it's a, it's a picture of false teaching. In Matthew 22, Jesus uses leaven as a picture of worldliness. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, uses it as a symbol for, for sins of the flesh. And while Jesus and Paul use the metaphor of leaven in a variety of ways, the common theme regarding leaven is this. It's some kind of impurity that's inside you and works its way throughout your body and throughout your life until it infects and corrupts the whole thing. Once leaven's mixed into bread dough, it's impossible to see and it's impossible to remove. Just like our sin, leaven works its way throughout the entire batch of dough. And just like our sin, leaven can't be removed easily. Once it's, it's mixed into the dough, it's in there. We're powerless to get it out. And, and our sin is the same way. Once it's a part of our life, we're powerless to remove it, which is why we need a Savior, which is why we need Jesus in our life, because only Jesus has power over sin and the power to wash away the stain of sin from our lives. It's, it's why we in the church, we talk about our need for, for Jesus as our personal Savior, to take away the corruption of sin in our lives the insidious corruption of sin, just like leaven being mixed throughout bread, can only be removed by Christ's power over our sin. And so that's the meaning in the background of leaven here. It's referring to sin. But why does Jesus bring it up here? What, what does he mean by the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? To discuss what he's talking about here, remember last week's sermon on, on, on uh, verses one through four of Matthew 16. Jesus just was discussing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and these guys come up to him, and they demand a sign that would show them the legitimacy of Jesus' authority. Despite the fact that the religious leaders, they've been following Jesus and observing him. Um, they've been watching him for some time, watching him heal the sick and give sight to the blind and, and feed the crowds and perform miracle after miracle and hearing his teachings 
and his parables and his sermons, seeing him fulfill messianic prophecies. But despite all of that, despite seeing all that, they still weren't convinced as to who Jesus was. They wanted a sign on demand. Religious leaders were so skeptical of Jesus, of his mission and who he was, that really no sign would have convinced them. But yet they were demanding a sign. And so remember, as, we, as we're studying the, Matthew's gospel, one of the things that we've, we've brought up time and time again is that Matthew is writing to Jewish readers. And so Matthew is often referencing prophecies from the Old Testament, uh, for the Old Testament scriptures that point to the promised Messiah. That all, Jesus, or all Jews would be familiar with, especially those whose job it was to understand the Old Testament scripture. And so these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew, the, they knew the law and the prophets better than anyone else. They could probably recite the various prophecies about the Messiah. They, they knew them by heart. And yet when Jesus comes along and he begins checking off all these messianic prophecy boxes one by one, from the line of David, check. Born in Bethlehem, check. Born of a virgin, check. Performing signs of healing, preaching righteousness to Israel, teaching in parables, check, check, check. These are all prophecies, these are all prophecies from the Old Testament scripture which are being fulfilled by Jesus. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're observing all of this. They're aware that Jesus was fulfilling them, yet their skepticism only increases. And as the spiritual leaders of the Jews, their skepticism could infect everyone. By denying Jesus as Messiah and Savior, and instead teaching the people that only obedience to the law and the traditions would save them, the Pharisees and Sadducees were infecting an entire nation of people with false teaching and false beliefs. Just like a bit of leaven goes through a batch of dough, their false teachings could corrupt the entire nation. That's what Jesus is warning about here. He's saying, watch and beware. Watch and beware of how they may be, the leaders may be leading you astray. Watch and beware. I think, I think this can be an exercise for all Christians to watch and beware, not simply watching out for false teaching, but, but watching out for sin in our lives. Watch and beware of the leaven in your life. Watch out for the small sins that could become deeper sin. Beware of the small sins that can creep into your, your life and into all parts of your life and ultimately corrupt it. So how about you? Are, are you watchful over your life? Are you watchful over what I'll call the potential leaven in your life? If we sat down for coffee and I asked you, hey, what, what are the areas in your life where you especially need to watch and beware? Could you answer that? Do you, know, do you know what those areas are? Do you know the areas where you're more tempted towards sin? Do you know the warning signs or the indicators that you're being tempted? Do you have guardrails or accountability in place in those areas? Maybe, maybe for someone this morning, the leaven is, is false teaching. Just like the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' time you're, you're, um, you know, they were putting out false doctrine that people bought into. Maybe for you, the world around you today is putting out false doctrines for you to adapt. Things like, there are many ways to God. Love is love. Evolution is real. Creation is a myth. You can choose what is right for you and your body. You can decide what your identity is. Success is defined by your career, by more money, by a newer car or a bigger house. And these ideas and these teachings, while, while seemingly minor statements, can quietly spread into all of your life and all of your thinking 
and all of your actions. And they can pull you away from God's design for your life and towards the world's view. So false teaching may be your leaven. Or maybe for someone this morning, leaven is lust and you're tempted by the things that you see. You want the things that you see. This could be sexual things or material things, but you're tempted to act and go after what you see. And soon the desire to go and get the things that you lust after drives your entire life. Maybe it leads you into pornography or an affair or to envying the material things that you don't have, driving you towards greed or simply towards dissatisfaction with your life. So lust may be your leaven. Or maybe for someone this morning, the leaven is alcohol or drugs. And you're tempted to have a little to escape or relax or unwind at the end of the week, but soon the end of the week becomes the end of every day. Or one drink becomes several, and before you know it, you're drinking every day to take the edge off, or you're drinking in excess, or you're taking pills or drugs to help you. And so substances are your leaven. Escape is your leaven. Now, you may notice that the examples that I give here, they're all seemingly minor things. Minor statements or beliefs, things you see around you, wanting to relax or unwind amid stress. But for someone who does not watch and beware, these things can become the leaven and can infiltrate your life negatively. They can spread to and infect all corners of your life. And they're incredibly hard to remove once they've spread throughout your life. And so, so how do we watch and beware? How do we become aware of the potentially harmful leaven that is around us? How, do, how are we aware so that we can avoid, avoid it? And I, I've got two ways. The first is through prayerful reflection, through prayer and reflection. We ask God. Pray and ask God to reveal to you the leaven in your life, the areas where sin or temptation or leaven may be creeping in, the areas you're overlooking or not paying close attention to. Ask him to show you these areas. And then when he does show you these areas, reflect on them, reflect and consider why is it that you reach for them? Why are you tempted in these areas? What things can you put around you, uh, safeguards or guardrails to help you in these areas? And so we ask for strength and deliverance against the leaven in your life through praying and reflecting on these areas. That's one way that we can watch and beware. And the second way is through accountability. Have someone in your life who knows you enough to be able to see leaven in your life and who loves you enough to call out the leaven in your life. Maybe this, this person is, is someone in your discipleship, in discipleship group, in your D group. Maybe this is a spouse or a close friend who's, who's a fellow believer. It doesn't matter who it is, only that they care enough and are close enough to you to be able to see the leaven in your life and, and talk to you about it. For me, that person's my wife, Anne. I've got, I've got a few guy friends who hold me accountable to things as well, but, but Anne and I are married. We, we live together, we're together every day, and so she's got the best perspective on me and if I've got leaven or sin that is permeating my life. And, and she loves me enough and cares enough to talk with me about it. And so there have been times where she's brought something up, you know, hey, I've noticed you seem to have an issue with this lately. Or is that becoming an issue for you? Is, is that something you need to address? And it's, it's not a whole lot of fun for me when she confronts me on some things, but, but she does it carefully and gently and lovingly. And I know that she does it because she cares enough about me and about my walk with Jesus to want to help me remove sin from my life and not allow it to permeate or corrupt. So watch and beware for leaven and sin in your life through prayer and accountability. 
Just like Jesus warned his disciples to watch and beware about the false teachings of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we're to watch and beware for sin in our life. Well, let's keep moving in our passage. Um, I, I, I think at the start of the story, Jesus intended to warn the disciples about the dangers of the false teaching of the leaders um, and how, how like leaven, it can, it can squ- quickly spread throughout your life. But then he observed their reaction and how, how they made it all about the forgotten bread. And they, they really completely missed his, his point about leaven and sin. And so a good, a good teacher will pivot. And he'll use that as an opportunity for deeper teaching. Jesus observes the mindset of the disciples and their focus on the forgotten bread. And so he uses it to tell them to remember. Let's keep reading in verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> but Jesus, aware of this, this is their mindset about the bread, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourself the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus' teaching here is really pretty simple and straightforward. He tells them to remember. I mean, he also criticizes their faith a little bit, but, but really he's telling them to remember. They're discussing together how they'd forgotten to bring bread to eat. And they were probably talking together and kind of mapping out some solutions or options to the problem. Maybe once they got across the sea, they could, they could buy some bread there, or maybe they could find some other type of food or barter or something. They're, they're probably making plans. They're, they're probably thinking practically about where their next meal would come from. They're focused on the physical instead of the spiritual. It just made me think, how often do we do the exact same thing as these guys? How often do we focus entirely on the physical needs, on our physical needs, instead of the spiritual? I can't pray or read my Bible in the morning if I don't have coffee with it. I can't worship if the band doesn't pay, play the kind of music that I like or that I'm used to. I can't fast because I get too, hu- too hungry and cranky. I can't volunteer my time because my schedule's too busy already. I can't give to my God. I can't give to God because my, my budget is really tight this month. I can't, I can't give things away because they're, they're material things that I want instead. And so I think before we jump on the disciples too much, let's just acknowledge the areas and times where we may act just like they do, where we may place our physical comforts above our spiritual ones. We do this too, just, just like these guys. And so the disciples, they're, they're there in that boat. They've got no bread, no phones to call Uber Eats and meet them at the shore with a meal. They can't, they can't order takeout. They've got no food. But all the while, they fail to realize that they're sharing a boat with Jesus. Just a few days earlier, Jesus fed 4,000 with just seven loaves and a few fish. And before that, he had fed 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. And both times there were baskets full of leftovers. Jesus provided more than enough food. And Jesus is sitting there in the boat with them. This is the guy who also turned water into wine. The guy who told them to throw their net to the other side of the boat. And there they caught more fish than than the net could even hold. And so the disciples have, have already seen all these miracles related to food and to provision. But in the practical, in the day to day life, when their bags are empty of bread, when they aren't sure where their next meal would come from, they forget. They forget Jesus and his provision. They forget Jesus' power 
and they forget Jesus' faithfulness. And so Jesus hears and sees all of this, and so he pivots his lesson for the day. His original lesson was watch and beware, but now he adds, remember my faithfulness. Let's look at verse 8 again. Jesus says, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand? In other words, he's saying, guys, why are you talking about what you forgot? Don't you see? I'm here. Don't you remember? I fed 5,000 and there were leftovers. Don't you remember? I fed 4,000 people and there, and there were more leftovers. This was just last week. Don't you remember? Now, a couple weeks ago when Nate Wirtz preached on the feeding of the 4,000, he laid out some, some good reasons why the disciples may not have expected Jesus to miraculously feed a multitude a second time. There's some, there's some real valid reasons for them not to expect Jesus to perform the miracle a second time. But in our passage today, they're sitting in that boat, just them and Jesus, knowing that Jesus has mirac- miraculously multiplied food two different times for two different crowds in two different settings and contexts. Yet they're still worried about the physical. They're still worried about food. They're still worried about forgotten bread. And so if Jesus kind of comes at them a little bit harshly and a little bit directly, that's why. It's because they aren't remembering that they've got Jesus in the boat with them. They aren't remembering what Jesus has done for them in the past. They aren't remembering Jesus' faithfulness to them. Remembering. Remembering is a common theme throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the word remember appears over 240 times. The Israelites are told to remember God's covenant to never again destroy the world with a flood. And they're told to remember how God rescued them from slavery, how he brought them through the Red Sea, how he guided them through the wilderness for 40 years as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire and provided manna from heaven and water from rocks and how their clothes and their shoes did not wear out for 40 years and how God brought them into a good, lush, fertile land, into the land that he promised them many years earlier. Remembers a theme throughout Scripture. We're told to remember. We're told not to forget. We're told to do things in remembrance. We're told to remember to remember. We're told don't forget to remember. We're told this in lots of different ways. Why? Because God knows we'll forget. God knows that we're very quick to forget about him, but very slow to forget about ourselves. He knows that we're very quick to give ourselves credit and very slow to remember his provision to us. And he says as much as, in, as much in Deuteronomy 8. This was what Kyle read over us this morning, but I'll put the verses up on the screen as well. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant 
that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So I'll, I'll paraphrase some of this passage. Essentially it says, remember how God rescued you and protected you and fed you. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. And when you have all the things that you need, food in the fridge, a home in Littleton, a watered manicured yard, an SUV in the garage, make sure you don't forget God. Make sure you don't say, I worked for all that. I achieved all that. Remember that it's God who gives you the power to achieve these things. We're to remember God when we're in need, when things may not be going well, because he's teaching and testing and humbling us. It's for our own good. And we shouldn't forget God in the good times when things are going well. Because the good times are a result of his provision. He's confirming his goodness and his faithfulness to us. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember that I'm here. Don't forget to remember my promises. Don't forget to remember that I love you and I can remove the leaven in your life. Don't forget to remember that I can remove sin and forgive sin. Don't forget to remember that I am faithful and I will do it. Don't forget to remember. And I said at the start of the sermon that that's just the, the title of the sermon. Don't forget to remember. And, and so hopefully it's a memorable title. But at first glance, it's a little bit redundant, right? It's, it's kind of repetitive. Don't forget and remember really mean the same things. I could have simply called this sermon Don't Forget. But here's why I went with Don't Forget to Remember. Here's, here's how I think about it. And hopefully it'll be helpful to you as well. Don't forget to remember is a two-part statement. Don't forget is the discipline. Remember is the action. Don't forget is, is the habit. Remember is the practice. Uh, to put it in sports terms, don't forget is like the play call, and remember is actually the executing the play. Don't forget is like scheduling time for, for you to work out each day, but remember is like actually doing the workout and doing the exercises. Don't forget and remember. Don't forget is like, is like making time for devotions each morning. Remember is the scripture and the prayer that you actually read and that you actually do. It takes both to be successful, the discipline and the action. It takes the right play call and executing the play call correctly. Making time for devotions and actually devoting that time to God. You need, you need both. And so in our application today, don't forget, is a discipline of turning to and referring to that memory bank of God's work and provision in your life. So, so when things aren't going well and, and when our faith is being challenged, we may be tempted to just work harder to get through it, to put our head down and just keep grinding or do it ourselves or rely on our own strength, or our own power, putting faith in ourselves only, thinking that we're the only ones that we can count on. But in those times, the discipline is don't forget. The discipline is to look back on our lives in the good times and the hard times and look back on God's role in our life, to look back on the ways that God has worked in the past. Being disciplined in the moment, in the hard moments and the good moments, to not forget to look back, to recall what God has done before. That's what don't forget means. It's a discipline. It's a habit. And when we do look back then, we remember and we focus on what God did in the past. We remember how in previous times when we weren't, we weren't sure how God was working, how he ultimately worked things out for the good. We remember the specific ways that God provided us with, with just what we needed. We remember the specific way he answered our specific prayer. 
We remember the specific time we were struggling with sin and he gave us strength to overcome it. We remember the specific lessons that he taught us that helped us grow. So remember is getting specific with what we're remembering. This is, this is what Jesus does in verses nine and 10. He, he remembers the details. Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? We remember the, the specifics. So don't forget it's the discipline of, or the habit of recalling how God works. Remember is a specific memory that strengthens our faith. About 12 years ago, Ann and I were in kind of a hard time um, in our lives where our faith was being challenged and we were kind of, we were kind of questioning what God was doing. We were in the middle of a, a several-year process of trying to get pregnant. And we were, you know, we were ready to start our family. We were ready to have, have, a, have our first child. And, and, and so, but we were having some difficulty. And there were some things on both sides of our, our pregnancy equation uh, that was making it hard for us to get pregnant. And it got to the point that one fertility doctor told us that we probably wouldn't ever be able to get pregnant on our own. There were a couple other options we could try, but they were a bit more extreme than we were comfortable with. But, but hearing that, that dead-end diagnosis like that was really discouraging and really hard. And so we were sad and angry and frustrated, and, and we were questioning God and what he was doing through this. And how could this be his plan for us? It, it didn't make sense. We spent lots of time, many hours, just sitting on the couch together, praying and asking God how he was working and, and seeking and asking to understand. But, but we would also sit there and, and encourage each other. And we'd say, hey, don't forget to remember how God used hard things in the past to teach us. And we remembered how God used a hard relationship in Anne's life before she met me to prepare her to later meet, uh, meet and date and marry me. And we'd say, don't forget to remember how God was at work in the past, even when we didn't understand how he was working. And we remembered how God was working when I was engaged to someone else and that engagement fell apart. And it, it really altered my life's plan and trajectory but it put me in Colorado at the time and the place to meet Anne. And we'd say, don't forget to remember how God teaches us lessons we need to learn to grow us. And we remember specific experiences where God taught us humility or generosity or leadership. And, and we would encourage each other this way. We would encourage each other to remember. And we'd encourage each other by, by remembering, saying, when we look at what God has done in the past, when we remember how he's worked in the past, it's likely that he's working here as well. He was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. And that helped sustain and encourage us through this several year period where we struggled to get pregnant, where God was teaching us to relinquish control to him, where he taught us to trust him and his plan for us and not our own plan and our own timing. And now 12 years and two pregnancies and two beautiful daughters later, that experience with trying to get pregnant has become another entry into our spiritual memory banks. It's filed away so that the next time we go through a hard time or we question God's plan or what he's doing, we can say to each other, don't forget to remember back in 2010. Don't forget to remember how God was at work when we were trying to get pregnant and how he taught us to trust him more at that time and how he taught us that his plan trumped our plan and showed us that his timing was perfect and ours wasn't and provided us what we needed when we needed it. We can say to each other, don't forget to remember. We had opportunity to put this into practice just this past week. We, we were on a hike, and Ann, Ann got a phone call from her doctor 
telling her that she had an abnormal mammogram, that they, they noticed something that didn't look quite right on, on her scan and that she needed to come in in the coming weeks for some more testing and imaging. And our, our first reaction was definitely fear and questioning. Is it breast cancer? How, can that, how could that be God's plan? How's God possibly at work in something like breast cancer? But as we, as we talked through it and prayed through it, we told each other, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember other times when God has brought some uncertainty into our lives or when he brought hard things with health or hard situations into our lives. He had a plan and was in control then. He's got a plan and is in control of this also. Even when we don't understand it and can't fully see how he's working. So, so maybe the, the image on, on her mammogram ends up being nothing. Or maybe it's something that needs to be addressed. But either way, we're trusting and remembering that God is at work in all of it. It wasn't a surprise to him, and it's part of his plan. And so we remember his past goodness. We don't forget to remember. So let's bring this all, all back together. Matthew shares a short story with us in his gospel for, for a few reasons. It's, it's a lesson about false teaching and how the false teaching of religious leaders can impact an entire people or nation. But, but even more than that, I think it's a lesson and a teaching about sin. Because sin is like leaven. It can permeate our entire life. It can corrupt our life and spread throughout all parts of our life and ultimately destroy it if we don't watch out for it and beware of it. And it's a lesson of faithfulness. Remembering God's faithfulness in our life, even when life is hard or not going as planned or when we can't see God's plan or when we can't see how God will meet our needs or how we'll overcome our struggles or our sins, we remember that he has been faithful and he will be faithful. He brought us through hard times before and will do it again. He's provided for us before and will provide again. He sent his son Jesus. He provided his son who has died for our sins and rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin in our lives. He has done this. He is faithful. Don't forget to remember that he is faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this teaching on, um, on, on forgetting, something that we can all, all relate to, whether it's a, a forgotten sleeping bag or forgotten bread or something, um, something different like, like forgetting your provision or your faithfulness, Lord. Um, we, we forget all the time. We forget your work in our lives all the time. So God, forgive us for when we do that. Forgive us for when, when, we, when we forget the way that you've acted and the way that you've moved and the way that you've provided in our lives. God, especially forgive us when we forget that you gave us the ultimate provision, the ultimate gift when you sent us your son. Forgive us for when we forget that, God. And, and give us, give us that, that memory bank. Help us to, to spend time uh, reflecting and, and, and thinking and pondering on the ways that you have provided for us, the way that you have worked in the way that you have moved so that in the hard times, God, we can, we can turn to that and we can remember the way that you have, have worked in our life in the past. God, help us to remember that you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. God, help us to remember. And God, I also pray that this morning that if there's someone that, that's dealing with, um, maybe dealing with some sin or some leaven in their life that, that they would 
part of, of watching and be, being aware of it, that they would, they would deal with that. Through, through prayer and reflection and accountability, God, that, that you would bring that to, to the forefront and that you would um, help them to work through that. Because God, only you, only Jesus um, are powerful to, to come, overcome sin. And so God, I pray that we would turn to you in that. I pray that we would remember that you died for our sin. That, you, that, that specific sin that we may be dealing with, Jesus, you died for it. And help us to remember that, Lord. So God, as, as we turn to our time of response, as we turn to our time um, in, in worship and singing and, and celebrating the Lord's table. God, the reasons that we do these responses are all, all part of remembering. So God, help us to remember and to celebrate today. And praise things in Jesus' name.